wake up every morning declaring that Jesus is your lion and your lamb. You are in him and he is in you. And that is a great declaration to speak to yourself, to make over your life, to preach to yourself. You need to become your favorite preacher. You preach to yourself every day. You tell yourself who you are in Christ, in Christ. So I am ready this morning to jump into more of these glories. I hope you are too. It's fun to look around and see everyone in these fun jackets, right? These are kind of crazy jackets looking, you know? Um, I told some of the girls, I said, you know, if I was to like go into a store, I wouldn't necessarily go, ooh, I love that jacket. But I love that jacket here because of all that I know it represents. And so I wear it and I'm like, wow, the, the imagery and the theme of the, of the sunrise and the different things and the glory, it's just, it will be a special thing to me. Lori has her jacket on from that filled up year. I've seen some other shirts. I think Jessica or somebody has on their team life. Oh, you changed the team life shirt. But anyway, those things, they like take you down memory lane. I heard a pastor say recently, he said, you know how you can like open up a photo album for those of you who used to know what those are, you know, it's all our phones now, but you know, and you kind of show, oh, this is what we did this, this is what we did this, that you literally should be able to walk through your life and be able to say, this is when God did this, and this is when God did this, and this is when he spoke this, and all of these things, your life is a testimony to the glory of God. As he's pouring it out on you, you get so filled up with it that it pours out. And the world looks because the world doesn't see the glory of God. It's, their eyes have been blinded, but ours have been open. And that's a privilege. And we get to shine out the glory of God. So this morning, I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Let's get that note page out if you want to use that. Get those memorization cards. And we're going to see where we are landing in Hebrews 1. We're going to start with those first two lines that we already know. So let's say them again with the glory they deserve. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. We have been privileged already to, to gaze at these glories. And I, I want to share just a few of the glory cards that, you know, are, I've got in my possession now. And let me just say this. As you are, you know, aware, maybe there was a little awareness last night of some things with these glory cards and kind of where we're moving in some ways with them. So the idea is that you write them and that you leave them around the house. It's not that you write them and you stick them in your own pocket, okay? That would be cheating, all right? And we don't know, we don't, that will mess the glory of God up when there's no integrity, all right? So you write them and you leave them around the house and then you look for them. What we're trying to do is create pathways in our brain. I don't know if you know this or not, but literally, I mean, this is a physical thing. Your brain has pathways in it. That's why sometimes we get, we get stuck on a pathway of thought because we're just so used to walking on it. And the more you walk down a certain way of thinking, what happens in a pathway, it just gets that, it gets more and more distinct, that pathway. That's how people make a pathway through the woods and the, they go every day and after a while that pathway's there, right? So if we want to have new pathways of thought the way God designed our brains, then we've got to start intentionally, just like if you came up to a forest and there was no pathway, you'd kind of have to clear out some space and you'd be intentional to walk that same way. We want to be women on the lookout for God's glory, but that might not be a pathway in our brain yet. So we're trying to establish that this weekend so that when we go out of here, essentially we got a lot of empty glory cards in our pocket that we're just looking around and we're just going to be writing down, taking every step, establishing our footsteps in the truth that the glory of God is all around us. And we're going to walk in it and we're going to see it and we're going to become those women that see it all the time. The two women that God really used to get me into his word were women who saw the glory of God and stuff. And I was in so much darkness. Even though I was in church, I was leading worship, I was a pastor's wife. I was sometimes reading my Bible, not much, usually out of guilt. Like... Saturday I would because I knew I had to leave worship on Sunday and then I wanted to feel good. You know, I mean, it was just, it was messed up. Yeah. And, and I was in darkness, but these two women, like I started seeing literally the glory of God out of their lives. And I'm like, 
I want that. I've been in church all my life and I've never seen that. And that's sad enough in itself, right? I was 29 years old, but I saw these women living this out and I'm like, I want that. I was desperate, I was panting for it. And what they did, how they shined the glory of God was like a magnet that drew me into it, into his word. And so, you know, as you do it, God's gonna just draw people because people are looking for the glory of God. They were made for it. So with these glory cards, so here's one that says, Jesus rose from the dead, the standing lamb. Amazing glory, who would like this one? Dottie, I saw you first. All right, I got another one here. This one says, glory. Jesus said the greatest love, and they drew a heart around the love, is laying down your life for a friend. He did that for you. Who wants this card? Amy, I saw your hand. All right. You're kind of getting the pattern here, right? All right. Glory, and I love they drew some little lines out from it, like Starburst things. This is, I love this. You are not a servant. You are a friend. John 15, 15. Who wants it? Come on, Jody. Come on up from behind. Does anybody, we're not going to take a ton of time to do this, but does anyone have one that you have found that just like has gone into your heart? Do you want to tell us what it is? Anyone? Hop on up. You don't have to give yours away. I'll tell you that. Okay? You don't have to give yours away. Anybody? Go ahead. There, Jewel. He is worthy to be gazed at. Yep, I love that. Somebody else? Anybody? I know we got tons of these, and we want to empty this bowl today, ladies. Okay? Glory, he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Yep. Go ahead, Kelly. Glory, Jesus can reach each one of us in every circumstance at any time. Yes, each one of us, every circumstance. I love that scripture that says his arm is not so short that it can't save. So I don't care how deep you are in that pit, he's got that magic arm that reaches down. Now the thing is, the deeper in the pit we go, the longer it takes for him to pull us out, right? So it's just best to stay out of the pit. But if you go there, he can get you. All right, anybody else? Let's go back there, Jody. Glory, he speaks through his word. Oh, that's such a good lead-in to where we're headed this morning. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So, so good. So good. You know, when we get in God's Word and we open our eyes and we ask the Holy Spirit to illumine our eyes, you know what wonder of wonders? He does. And we see, and our brains do start creating those pathways. So keep making the glory cards. Put, keep putting them around the house and keep finding them, okay? So let's say those lines again, and we're going to also keep going to the next line of Hebrews 1.3. So start with, and he is the radiance. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Say that last line again. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And one more time, like you really, really believe it. And he upholds all things. Say that word again all things by the word of his power it's so good to say that it's even better to believe it and live it all right this reality this glory of jesus is so practical it's so important it is so encouraging to our souls and we're going to pause right now and we're going to copy it down okay so get out a journal page and copy that line down and he upholds all things by the word of his power. That is an amazing word, ladies, that you just copied down in your journals. Jesus really does that. 
And this morning we're going to actually go back to Matthew chapter 17 to see that in real life action. We've already been in Matthew 17 earlier this weekend, but there's a whole lot more to see there. And I believe that this chapter, uh, the, the second part of it, is one of the very best places in Scripture to get a wide-angle view of Jesus' glory upholding all things by the word of his power. So we're going to look there. We looked in this chapter Thursday night, and we positioned ourselves in that moment when Jesus took three of his disciples up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and he showed them himself more than they had ever seen before. They saw him shining, pure, and bright, and fully identified as the Son of God. And when we gazed in at that moment, I, my prayer is that, and I, I'm sensing in the room that this is what has happened, we also said, I, I want to be someone who gets close. And I, I'm going to say yes, because I want to see more of his glory too. I want him to take me up on the mountain to see. Well, this morning, what we're going to do is continue to the end of the chapter, and we're going to see more. In fact, we're going to see those words from Hebrews 1, verse 3, that Jesus upholds how many things? All things by the word of his power. We're going to see them literally come to life in this chapter. See, as we read through these next moments, after Jesus and his disciples are coming down from the mountain, I believe the, the Lord is going to give us a view of Jesus just literally upholding one thing after another. But we need to be really careful to get the right view first of what the word upholding means. Because in your minds, when you think of somebody upholding lots of stuff, you might think maybe of like uh, like somebody at the circus, like running around and they got all those plates spinning, you know, you've seen that image. That is not the image at all of Jesus upholding things. So let's make sure we're seeing the right image. Hebrews 1 tells us he upholds all things by the word of his power. What does that word upholds actually mean? Well, it means in the original language to it, several things. It's actually written at the top of your note page, the, these words. And you want to get really familiar with them if you want to really see Jesus upholding in this chapter. All right? So the word means to carry, to bring forth, to move forward, to prompt, to bear, to bring, to lead. That's at the top of your note page there. To carry, to bring forth, to move forward, to prompt, to bear, to bring, to lead. See, when Jesus upholds, he's doing more than just like picking up your stuff and carrying it to the next place. All right? It means that he carries. Sometimes he does pick up your stuff and bring you to the next place. But it also means that he brings forth, that he moves forward, that he prompts, he bears, he brings and he leads. And something else that we really need to be aware of, that what it says in Hebrews 1.3 is it says how he does that. And he does it by the power of his word. So don't picture him here like trying to just hold everything together until we can just make it through. No. He just stands up, the lamb's slain, he's the lion roaring, and he speaks. He speaks. And that's very important for us to, to just gaze at as we begin this conversation because it is his word that is the power. And all you have to do, I mean, again, we said this earlier this weekend, just look out there. He created that. And think for a moment about the whole world that's underneath the surface of that deep. If you've ever been down underneath there, okay, has anybody ever scuba dived or snorkeled or anything? Like there's a whole other universe under there, okay? And he knows every nook and cranny of it, and he created it. He knows how to not make that tide come past a certain place. I mean, how does that happen? Like if I, I dropped water on the floor, it's going to go all the way. It's going to keep going, run down the stairs. There's no way to hold it back. But Jesus can do that. And how does he do that? He does all of those things by the word of his power. So we've got to wrap our brains as best we can. Uh, that Jesus' power and, and the way that he upholds things is not the normal image that we would think of. So when he speaks, when he speaks, he carries, he brings forth, he moves forward, he prompts, he bears, he brings, he leads. And that is some kind of power. 
right? Some kind of powerful word. And, and how glorious it is that the Bible tells us that we as his children have the privilege to hear him speak, to speak with that powerful word and to experience then all the benefits of what his word has. That benefit, one of them being upholding. Can somebody say glory, glory. right? Glory, hallelujah. So now we've got a little bit more clarity on this word and I want you to just keep you know, meditating on that as we go through. How does he do that you know, by, and how he does that by his word? So we're gonna go to Matthew 17 and we're gonna pick up in verse number nine. So verse number nine, make sure you're there. And I'm going to start reading there. Okay, we're going to see Jesus coming down the mountain with his disciples. So it says, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell this vision to no one until the son of man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and he will restore all things. And I say to you that Elijah already came. And they didn't recognize him, but they did to him whatever they wished. So also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. What we're going to look into right in this section is that Jesus has the power to uphold the true narrative. The true narrative. A narrative, what is a narrative? It's a storyline. It's a way of perceiving events and piecing them together. A situation or a series of events, it's how you look at them. Now we all know that two people can look at the same flow of happenings and come up with two different ideas about what's really going on, right? We can spin it in different ways. We've had a front row seat to that for the last two years in our world, right? I mean, there are polarizing ideas going, so many different narratives that people and how they see things. But we have to realize that's nothing new, all right? It might feel new to us in this season, but people have been having different perspectives about things since the beginning of time. And that's exactly what is happening right now as Jesus and his disciples are walking down the mountain. See, the disciples, they're, I mean, you know, they're probably still just like stunned at what they've just seen. And they're trying to make sense of all of it. So, of course, as they're coming down the mountain, they've got some questions for Jesus. So after he tells them, don't tell anybody about this, they're like, yeah, but we need to ask you about this. And one of their questions is about Elijah. Because all of their lives, they've been told one narrative about the Messiah. And it included Elijah. They've been, as a people group, they were looking for the Messiah. A lot of times they weren't looking. They glanced every now and then. That's why they missed him, right? But they thought they were looking for the Messiah. And there was a lot of talk all the time about that. And that narrative for them included Elijah. And, and this is what the narrative was. That the great prophet Elijah, who had gone off to heaven in the chariot, he was going to come back, and he would come back before the Messiah. So people, in many ways, were looking for Elijah first, right? And then they would know that the Messiah was coming. So they've been told this narrative. And for the last two years, they've been following Jesus around, and he's been claiming to be the Messiah. Only from their viewpoint, they haven't seen Elijah yet. So they've probably been wrestling with all of that anyway, and what that means to this narrative and this perception that they've been told and had. And now to make it more confusing, they just saw him up on the mountain. But Jesus has already been here and Jesus has been saying, I'm the Messiah. And they also saw Jesus lit up like the sun and realized he is the Messiah, but Elijah didn't come first. So there's a lot of confusion in their mind. And not only that, they actually did hear God saying, this is my son. Like, not him, not him. Right? And kind of just left Elijah out of it. So this narrative about Elijah and about the Messiah that they've been told all their lives, that that's their trajectory of thought, that that's the way, that's their worldview, okay? It's in great suspect. And that's why they're asking Jesus about it. See, to us it might, who cares? But for them, that was a big deal. So Jesus answered and he spoke. And in just a couple of statements, he upholds the true narrative. He reveals the true narrative. He 
brings it forth. That's one of the things of upholding, bringing forth. By his word, he sets the true narrative straight. The narrative that has been ordained from before the foundation of the world. See, Jesus already had a narrative. Other people spun it in different ways, but Jesus knew what the true narrative was. And so he just looks at the disciples as they're walking down the mountain, and he tells them that John the Baptist was going to come and make a way for Jesus. And that actually he already came, but that John the Baptist is Elijah. And that he is Jesus, who is the Messiah, and he's going to die for the sins of the world. That's the true narrative about the life of Elijah, the life of John the Baptist, and Jesus. And Jesus, in all his glory, he's omniscient. He's the one that planned this whole place in the first place. He knows what the narrative is supposed to be. So he can speak it, and he has the authority to uphold it. See, not only have the disciples heard this narrative about Elijah all their lives, but by this time, in their world, there were all kinds of narratives also floating around about the John the Baptist. He had been a pretty crazy guy, and people were like, who was he? And, oh no, he's beheaded, and all of these different things. And people were wondering about Jesus. I mean, Wendy, last night sitting in his chair, told us all the things that people were saying about him, you know? He, he's, you know, illegitimate child, he's the son of the devil. I mean, all these narratives are spinning around. Who is this Jesus, okay? So they're hearing all this, but Jesus, by the word of his power, he just sets it straight and he upholds the true narrative for them. Now, let me show you the glory of Jesus doing that and how that should deeply, deeply encourage us and literally cleanse our minds and our hearts. See, most of our narratives, our stories, get messed up from when we're just very, very little. From the moment you are conceived in the womb, Satan starts trying to write your narrative, your story, to tell you how the pieces of your life should be formed together into a conclusion. And his conclusion that he always is going to spin in your narrative is death. We talked about that last night, right? In fact, many babies never even make it out of the womb because of the narrative he is spinning in our world today. But one of the glories of Jesus is the power of what he says about who you are and what your story is supposed to look like. Now, there is not one part of my life or, or your life that cannot be touched by this glory of Jesus, the power of his word to write the narrative. In fact, we were created to live in the power of his word about us every day. We spend so much time and I, I, I'm speaking to myself in this too. We ponder the narratives of the day. We ponder our experiences and what that then says about who we are, our shortcomings, you know, what other people think about us. We listen way more to what other people think about us than what Jesus thinks about us. And we listen in while Satan just tries to spin who we are and what our lives are going to be and what our end is going to be. And even many of us who know that we're going to heaven, we've just given him so much power in our minds to spin our narrative here. Not realizing that we have already started our eternal life. Eternal life began the day that Jesus came alive in you. So we don't need to waste time on his narratives. Surely we're going to hit moments in our lives that go, what's up with this chapter, right? But we just go to Jesus and we go, what's going on? I go up on the mountain with him. I say yes, I spend time with him, and then I'm like, Jesus, I don't get this. Please tell me, <laughs> you know, reveal to me, and let him speak the true narrative to you. His words are truth for us that can set us free. They are that powerful. And when he tells us the truth about our lives, what he ordained for us in our coming days, his words are powerful to uphold us, to do these things, to carry us, to bring us forth, to move us forward into the next places he wants to take us, to prompt us, to bear us up, to bring us and to lead us. Jesus has the power by his word to speak a true narrative about you and also about everything else going on around you. And by doing so, he moves us forward. He prompts us for his goodness. He carries the burden of the day. 
He carries the burdens of Satan's twisted lies that he's always trying to speak into our minds because he alone knows the truth. Can somebody say glory? I mean, hallelujah, right? And that's not just true for me personally, but that's true for my sisters around me. And I need to encourage them in that. I need to be willing to be bold, to speak into their lives and say, that is not who you are. Why are you even thinking that? What does God's word say about you? And it's also true about the happenings going on around us. Christians, rise up and let's listen to what Jesus says about this world, about our place in it. He has a narrative for us and he will uphold it in our lives if we'll just ask him instead of listening to everyone else around us. The narratives are flowing. They're going to flow till the day that Jesus appears again. And we get so uptight and we get so strung up, so anxious about what everybody else is saying and doing and thinking and what they think about us. We just need to give Jesus a place to speak because his word is powerful. If his word created that, his word can speak and change me. And it upholds the narrative of what's going on in this, on this planet powerfully overrides every other word. Now we could stay there all day long and I hope you will. I hope you will marinate in that and meditate on that. But there's so much more to see in this passage. We're just getting started. So let's go now to verse 14 and I'm going to start reading there. And when they came to the multitude, a man came up to him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son for he is a lunatic and he's very ill. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him and the demons came out of him and the boy was cured at once. Now, ladies, there's a whole lot in here. So this is what we're going to call this one. All right. Jesus' word has multiplied power round number one, all right? The reason I say round number one is because there's going to be multiple rounds in these fights that we're going to see here, okay? Jesus doesn't even have to fight. He always wins, all right? He always wins, but this is round number one, all right? So round one. We saw Jesus and the disciples come down the mountain. We saw him set the narrative straight by the power of his word. And now we land in verse 14, where this man has just landed himself at the feet of Jesus, begging for help. Ever been there? At the feet of Jesus, begging for help. Ever been there begging for your child, if you're a parent? I have. I imagine many of you have. Now, this man's child was controlled by a demon. He calls his own son a lunatic, meaning he is out of his mind. Now, if you are a mom, you have probably had many moments where you think, my child has lost his mind, all right? Or like, I'm going to lose mine if you don't get a hold of yours, okay? We've all had those moments, all right? That's just mom, mom passage, all right? But this was way beyond. This is over and over. This was the norm for him. And maybe for some of us in the room, we have children where being out of their mind, that has become the norm. Because he said often, he often throws himself into the fire and often into the water. And who knows how long that often had been going on, right? Who knows how long this father had been approaching different people for help. On this day, he had come to the disciples, but what did he say? They couldn't do anything. But what did Jesus speak to him? How did he uphold this father in this moment? Well, after some statements about his followers that we're not going to get into now, Jesus says something. He just says, bring him here to me. And then what happened? He rebuked, meaning he spoke with words, and the demon was gone, right? Now, wouldn't we all moms love to have that power to just go, boom, and then gone, you know? Now, that's full of glory, his word is powerful over demons to so just command them to go. But Jesus' word, if we look deeply, if we gaze here and we understand that word uphold, it's doing so much more than just that. That's what we see on the surface. In multiplied ways in this round one, this is what happens. His word is carrying this father's hurting heart. 
all the disappointment, the anguish, the fear, the pain, the struggle, this word from Jesus picked up this father's heart and carried it to a whole new place. His word is bearing the burden of this sickness. He said, bring him to me. I will bear this. And he did. His word brought forth provision in the midst of lack. Everyone around him was lacking in the ability to do anything about this son. But Jesus wasn't lacking. So Jesus moved them forward past the inability. It prompted hope. It prompted joy and awe and wonder in all the people watching. And it led to a whole new realm of life for this family. All because Jesus spoke. He upheld so many things by the word of his power in that moment. And I absolutely love being able to see this. For so many years, I have said, Jesus can like say one thing and do one thing when he moves his hand across something and then like 50 things happen. Like I might see one, but he's doing 50 things. And I've said that, I can't even tell you how many times I've said that, but I never knew there was an actual Bible word that meant that. And you know what the word upholds does? Because so many things happen when Jesus upholds. It's not just this one-dimensional thing. we got to gaze and see deeper. The disciples couldn't do it, but Jesus could. And we don't get the details of all the things that the disciples tried to do to help. It might have even been a little humorous to watch, you know? Because, you know, have you ever tried really hard? All right, Jesus, if I just, like, kneel this way, maybe this will work. Or if, I, I don't know, if you're like me, you know, you get into these things. I'm, I'm going to try to make it happen in the spiritual realm. And, and we do stuff like that. We just need to let Jesus speak, speak his word. See, what they couldn't do, they saw Jesus do with just a word. Just a word from his mouth. So they had a lot more questions, right? Now they do. Come down off the mountain, they still got questions. Which takes us to Jesus' word has multiplied power, round number two. Round number two. So let's keep reading, starting in verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed... You shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. So what is Jesus' word powerfully upholding here? Again, so much multiplied things just because he speaks. First of all, his word leads the disciples through confusion. That's one of the things of upholding, right? It leads. His word leads. The disciples are confused. They had probably tried things that they had seen Jesus doing in the past. And Jesus speaks into their confusion. He brings forth some knowledge that they needed to hear about faith. And what it can do. Are y'all seeing dolphins again? Oh, okay, okay. I'm like, I saw all of your eyes go like that. Just have at it, Lord. Just, just do whatever you want back there. That's fine. That's fine. Dolphins! Dolphins! Yeah. All right. So I just wanted to see them too if they were there. Sorry. Let's get back to it. All right. So he brought forth knowledge that these disciples needed to hear in the moment. He taught them about faith and what it can do, right? He moves them forward, challenging them into action, prayer, fasting, learning how to speak with power. He's saying, what you see me do, you can do that too. Your words are going to hold power. And he is leading them to the gospel, his death and resurrection. When you start reading through the gospels, you see how many times Jesus speaks to them ahead of time about what was going to happen. And that really takes us here into these verses 22 and 23. And that's why I think they're right here. See, Jesus is going ahead of them with a powerful word to move them forward through the horror of the time that he knows is coming. He knows their narrative. He knows they were created to be the 12 disciples. 
the people that we're still talking about today all these years later. He knew what they were positioned on this earth to do, what their purpose was, why he created them. And he needs them to know that this is happening because he knows he has got to uphold them through it. And many times Jesus will speak a word ahead of time in our lives to uphold us through it, right? To lead us, to bring us, to prompt us, to carry us forward. Now, he doesn't always do that, but he does do that. And I, I'm somebody that he does that with a lot. I think it's because maybe I'm weak and he just knows, you're, you're going to give up, girl, if I don't tell you now. So let me just tell you now and then I'll, I'll carry you through. I mean, I've had that happen in huge ways in my life. And sometimes we, we hear him say that and we're thinking, okay, tomorrow then that's going to happen and be over. But no, it could be seven years later. And he's still upholding you through it, but you got a word. You got a word from God. And so you're good. You're good. You stand in that word. You walk in that word because he's used it to prompt your heart to faith, to believe, and to be led through. Now, he's done that in huge ways in my life, but he also does it in small ways. I want to tell you about something that happened just last year. Um, I thought about it as I was reading through this. I can remember I was going to um, have a meeting with somebody, and I was really looking forward to the meeting, to the fellowship we were going to have. And, and as I was going, as I often do, if I'm going to go and hang out with somebody in a coffee shop or whatever, you know, I'll just say, Lord, as I'm going in my car, I'll say, Lord, you know, just bless this conversation. You know, would you be honored in this conversation if there's something you want me to share, if there's something you want me to hear, all of that. And as I was doing that, the Lord just broke in my thoughts and, and gave me this sense of this is going to be a really hard conversation. And I was like, what? Because I, I didn't have any sense of that at all. I was really actually looking forward to the time together. But sure enough, it was a very hard conversation. We barely sat down, and the woman I was meeting with, she was holding all these deep offenses in her heart, and she brought some really hard accusations against me, against our ministry, and I would have been just totally caught off guard had the Lord not upheld me with just that prompting, that word. And he carried me through the hurt of it afterwards, and he moved me forward past the hurt and to be able to be in a place of forgiveness. I told you that story instead of some big real-life moment story because I want you to see this gets into the nitty-gritty of how we live every day. He will uphold even just in everyday conversations and just, you know, relationships that go a little south sometimes. If we're drawing close, if we're looking for his glory, if we're listening for his voice, if we've got pathways in our brain and our heart that are used to walking with Jesus, he's going to do that. He's our shepherd. He doesn't want us to walk into something and get blindsided by it. And so he'll prompt us and lead us. We live in a different realm. We live in the realm of the glory of Jesus. We don't have to live in the death crap. I'll say it again. I, don't, I never use that word. When I was a school teacher, kids were not allowed to say that word in my So, all right, I'm not going to say it anymore, okay? But I just, I mean, that's what it is. And we get stuck in it. And we don't have to. Jesus' word will up. Hold. I believe that's exactly what Jesus was doing here for his followers. Now, it had much greater stake because it wasn't just a little conversation in a coffee shop. This is talking about the gospel. He went ahead of them so many times to uphold them. He knew how hurt they would be when they saw the horror of him dying on the cross. So he wanted to start carrying their burden of their hearts before it even happened. He knew that when he was crucified, they would need to know this was not a surprise to Jesus. He talked about it all the time. So he was telling them to start bearing that burden for them now. He knew how important it was to go before them so that his words would not only powerfully prepare them, but powerfully lead them through those dark moments, all right? Because he also told them, he gave them a word, I'm going to rise again right? He told them about the resurrection before it happened. More powerful words. His words overcome death. And they not only moved him forward from death to life, they also will move anyone else forward who wants in on that resurrection power too. The word of his power, even over death, so much so that it upholds everything. 
And we still have round number three, ladies, okay? Do you see how full this passage is of Jesus just over and over and over again, upholding by the word of his power? So let's keep reading. I love this part. 24. And when they had come to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax, that was a temple tax, okay, came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? Now, I said it was a temple tax. It was like, so people had to actually pay to be able to come into the temple, all right? So can you imagine going to church and you gotta pay to be able to come in the door, okay? Now we do take offerings, but that's not what this was. This is a tax, like going through the toll, okay? And that was not the way it was ever even supposed to be. God did not set that up, man did, all right? We mess it up so much. But anyway, so Peter answered, he said, yes. But when he came back to the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? Now Simon was Simon Peter, so he's talking to Peter. From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll taxes? From their sons or from strangers? And upon his saying this from strangers, Jesus said to him, consequently, the sons are exempt from the tax. But lest we give them offense, go to the sea, throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open his mouth, you're going to find a coin. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. This is so good. This is so good. And it's going to get right into the nitty-gritty, everyday practical stuff in your life. See, do you ever have to deal with people who are just hard to deal with? Like they like drama. They like being difficult. Are you ever that person? That's not the glory of God, so let's get filled up and move on, all right, if you are that person. But we all have to deal with people like that, and the reality is sometimes we are those people like that. But that's exactly what verse 24 is all about. Two people just stir in the pot, right? And they don't even have the courage to go and ask Jesus. They corner one of his disciples to ask them or ask him about Jesus. So they ask Peter, and you know what? Jesus just steps right in and he just speaks. I love how this detail is in scripture that he doesn't, Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to come in and talk. I mean, he's just like, he just gets right on him. And he's like, so what do you think, Peter? <laughs> he starts the conversation, which shows me the glory of the heart of Jesus. See, he doesn't put up with drama and he doesn't put up with fault finding spirits. He knows how to uphold his own followers' hearts and minds when they have to encounter them. And most of us do on a regular basis, right? We deal with people, and, and people are, when we are those people, we always have to remember we're in the people a lot, right? You know, we encounter them. So he spoke, and he asked Peter a question that held so much power, so much meaning, and he upheld Peter through the ponderings of this awkward conversation. Because don't you know that was awkward for Peter? His word moved Peter forward past the guilt and confusion Peter was probably feeling. Because Peter had probably been fine with the way things were, you know, not paying that temple tax. And now, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, should I be feeling guilty? Is he doing something wrong? Have you ever had that happen? Like, you know, you're good, you're in a good place with God, and then you see somebody doing it a different way, or they question you, and then you're like, get into this bad space. And sometimes that's God using a sister to correct you and move you forward. There is that kind of word. That's not what's going on here. He's bringing the truth. He moves Peter past forward that uh, guilt and confusion. His word did bring forth that truth. And the truth was this. Sons don't pay taxes. The sons of the king don't pay to come into the house, right? This was a truth that Jesus was God's son, but it also was another truth for Peter. Because did you notice that he says when he tells him to go pay the tax, he says, pay it for you and me. So what he's saying is, you don't know it either, Peter, but you know what? Let's just be people who don't offend, and let's just take care of it. All right? Here's a coin. Go pay it. You know? I love that. Because not only is he telling him who he is, but he's telling him who he is, right? I'm a son, you're a son, we don't have to pay this tax. And this word from Jesus upheld that truth in Peter's heart. It moved him forward into understanding who he was, that he was a son. And it upheld righteousness, peace, and joy, which are the marks of the kingdom of God. 
See, as sons, they were not required to pay this tax. But Jesus was like, Peter, we're just going to live without offense. So I'm going to take care of it for you with just a word from my mouth. And I absolutely love how he did this. He could have just reached in his pocket and handed Peter a coin. But what does he do? He uses a fish. And do you see how personal this is? Peter was a fisherman. So Jesus put his glory on display right in a way that would shine so bright to Peter. Don't you know that Peter had to just be like smiling so big when he walked with that coin in his hand and held it and gave it to those two guys? Like, you don't even have a clue, but here's your coin. Have a great day. You know? See ya. Jesus' word got into the nitty-gritty of the silly drama, the critical heart, the hard conversation, the confusion, the accusation, what's right, what's wrong, and even Peter's identity as a child of God. He upheld Peter's heart. He upheld his mind. He upheld his actions. He upheld righteousness. He upheld truth. He upheld joy and peace. All just with a word. With a word. All that's going on. It's amazing to know what it means for Jesus to uphold. Say that line with me again, ladies, hopefully with more meaning now. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. We need to say it again. We got to have more glory there. Let's say, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. We cannot leave this conversation without mentioning two more things here. First of all, it's that word, all, okay? Literally, when I was writing this message, right at this moment, I had just typed that out again, where I was going to ask you to say, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. And I, I got um, a message that was some really, really bad news. And when I hung up the phone and I turned back to my computer screen, that little word, all, was illumined <laughs> on the screen. Meaning... God was illuminating that word for me in that moment. He was speaking to uphold me, to say, Sharon, you're writing a message about what I do. Do you believe it in this moment? I needed to hear that because my mind, in my limited perspective, I didn't see how things were going to hold together if what I had just heard was going to be true. And yet I can tell you today, God spoke. I grabbed hold of that word. I said, that's what we're going to stand in. And I had to walk through that for about three weeks. But I can tell you, he held it up. <laughs> he held it up. He carried my disappointed heart. He brought something new. He moved us forward. He prompted me to believe. He bore the weight of the burden. He brought the truth. And he led me through the maze of thoughts and emotions swirling around on the inside of me out to a good place. That's what he does when he upholds all things with his word. And, and that word all, it upholds a lot. In fact, it upholds everything. It means exactly what it says, all things. And I love how God speaks many times in his word in that way. It's a speaking with absoluteness so that we don't have to question, well, what about that thing, right? No, all things. It means exactly what it says. What part of that don't we understand? What do you think is exempt from this word from Jesus? Are you going to enter into that conversation with him? Because you're going to lose. He upholds all things. So we either step into the place of believing that and gazing that and going, yeah, I don't know how you're going to do that, Jesus, but I'm going to trust you at your word. Or are we going to stand over here in a place of unbelief and just let the clouds of death just envelop us with no life? We got glory or we can believe that God really means what he says. The, the absoluteness of that word all is so glorious. But secondly, we just have to mention this again as well, his word. We talked about it earlier, but how powerful it is when Jesus speak, speaks. But the question begs to be asked, because I, I get asked this all the time, what if he doesn't speak to me? So he upholds all things by the word of his power, but what if he doesn't speak to me? And the answer is this. Oh, but he has. <laughs> and he is. And he will. All right? See, I say this often, but the Bible is the language that God speaks. 
If you want to have a meaningful conversation, a deep conversation, get in the nitty gritty of your life and heart conversation with God, then you have got to know his language. If you've ever been to another country and you don't know the language, you can get by with learning how to say, what's your name? Or where's the bathroom, right? But those are not like really life, well, you have to go really bad. I mean, that's a life-changing moment in the moment, right? But you know what I mean. That, that's not deep conversation. That's not meaningful conversation. How well do we know the language of God? When we know the language of God, we will hear him speak. Each of us, the Bible that is in your hands, sitting on your lap, it is such a treasure. Such a treasure. For so many years of my life, I did not view or value or affirm that the word of God was a treasure. I would have told you it was with my mouth, but what happened in my time revealed that I didn't believe that. But if what we have been saying today and reading today, if we really believe this, then what you are holding in your hands is gold, ladies. It is better than gold. It is treasure beyond treasure. The enemy of your soul is going to spend, spend all other kinds of narratives about this Bible in your heart and mind because he knows how powerful it actually is. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is alive and active and it is powerful to pierce through the heart, divide soul and spirit. We have this treasure in our hands. We literally have a heart surgeon wanting to work in our lives and he's tender and yet he is so authoritative as well. Just one word from him sends the demons running. So yes, Satan will spin his narratives, but Jesus gives us a true narrative and you have memorized that true narrative. He upholds what? All things by the word of his power. Every one of us, every person that you know or will ever see on this planet needs to know that. The glory of God, that he speaks and things are upheld. The glory of that even is so glorious. The glory that his word actually holds that much power. That's incredible. The glory that he can do that, all things. The glory that he cares enough to do it, right? The glory that this is such an absolute so we don't have to question so much more. And that's for the things that we see him upholding. Oh, ladies, we don't even have any idea of what he's doing and upholding that we haven't even thought about, right? So there is glory. But I also know, just from talking with you and just knowing people, I mean, I'm going to be 56 soon. We, I know People, people hurt, people have brokenness, people struggle, and I'm one of those people. We all have that. There are things that you came here to this weekend knowing, I, I, I gotta get a word from God, or I, I, I gotta have Jesus touch me in some way. You know what you need him to do? You need him to uphold you, to carry your burden, to bring you forth stronger, to move you forward smarter, to prompt you, to bear your weight, to bring you through, to lead you beyond, whatever that need is. I just want to encourage you, draw near and see that glory. All things. Don't ever let your mind question that. It's a non-negotiable. Jesus spoke it. The same Jesus that created you, that created this world, that's what he said. Let him do what he does. It means there's nothing that his word cannot touch. We saw it right here. From a demon-possessed boy to an annoying conversation, to matters of life and death in the gospel. The Hebrews of uh, the, the glory of Hebrews 1, verse 3, line 3, speaks into everything. Don't ever forget this line. It is life to you. It is breath to you. So I want to invite you to go back to where you copied that in your journal just a moment ago. How would you respond to God and what he has shown you this morning? Are you in, a, in awe and wonder? in a fresh way of what his word can do. Does the way that he upholds when he speaks draw you in and say, speak to me, God? I just had a conversation with Debbie a little bit ago. She and I talked a few weeks ago and I had encouraged her, you need a word from God for that. You need to know exactly what he's saying about that. 
And I had hoped this weekend that we were going to get to check in on that because I wanted to know. And she told me just the other day, God showed me. She, she wasn't necessarily thinking that's where it was going to be, but the Holy Spirit illumined it. And I mean, she just had tears coming down her face when she's telling me, God gave me this word and now I'm standing in that. My feet are established in it. I'm not moving. What's your response? What is your response? You can stay over here and just let the clouds of fog and I won't say it, but just engulf you. Or you can come into the glory and go, I don't know how. I don't know when. This might last my entire lifetime. I don't know, but I know that what you said is true. See, all of us have a that thing. We all have a that thing. I don't know what your that thing is, but it's that thing that just seems unfixable. It's been around for so long, like this father who said often, it just happens all the time. You, you've created such a brain pathway for yourself in that of thinking, this is the way it's always going to be. And you have excluded that from the all things. I would encourage you today as you respond to the Lord, you bring the that thing into the conversation and you submit it to this word. And you yield yourself to it and you say, I'm going to stand in the glory and I am going to watch you. And you know what? When you make that decision to do that, that's when you even see more glory. That's when you get a testimony. Because people around you go, that's crazy. And you're like, yep, but I am waiting to see what Jesus told me. And then that says to them, just like those ladies that I told you about earlier to me, that says, oh my goodness, I need some of that. I got to get in the sunshine. I cannot stay in this fog anymore. I'm dying over here. And your life, just the way you live it, as one woman on the lookout for God's glory, standing in his word, will change everything. Everything. The people around you. So don't allow the enemy to put that thing outside of this word. It is not. It is not. And it may not turn out exactly what you're thinking. I bet it will have more glory. Multiplied glory. Because Jesus can go through round after round. Do you know what? You know in a, in a boxing ring, I don't watch boxing, but like they have so many rounds and then it's over. You know what? He has been fighting. He's been in the ring for centuries and he's not getting out. He fights. He's, he, he wins every single time. So take some time right now and respond. Bring the that thing into the conversation or any other thing that you know you need to respond to this glory of Jesus. It should deeply impact you that he would care that much to speak into your little life and my little life, but he does. He does. Such a tender savior, such a victorious warrior. Let's respond.
praise. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray together and go collectively before the Father in response to this word. Just bring yourself to standing. If you're still writing, feel free to keep writing. That's fine. But pray with me. Oh, Jesus, your word so powerful. It brings something from nothing. Your word heals and it sets free. Your word burns like fire. It brings understanding. It brings light. Your word satisfies our hungry souls. It fights our battles. It silences our enemies. It cleanses our dirty hearts. It gives us a, a place of power and, and revelation and glory to stand in and so much more. Jesus, your word upholds everything, all things. We have seen that this morning and there is so much glory in knowing that and in living in that. Seeing the glory of your powerful word brings so much glory into our souls. Because, Jesus, we all have stuff. We've got stuff that we need you to uphold. Stuff that we're desperate for you to uphold. We all have stuff that we need you to carry. We need you to bring forth. We need you to move forward, to prompt, to bear, to bring, to lead. I don't care if we need socks and underwear, or we need our prodigal child to come home, or we need healing, we need finances, whatever we need, God. And I don't say that lightly because there was a day when you provided by a word from your mouth socks and underwear for my family. And I saw and I came to know you in that day as provider and I have never turned back as I saw that word literally come to life and uphold me. And it has upheld me through many years since in that lack where I feel like I have lack. No, I have fullness. That's just something you've spoken to me. I know within this room, there are hundreds of words that you have spoken. Help us to step forward into the place to, to, to stand in that. Lord, bring us forward. Uphold us even in that. We're so needy. We're so needy. This morning, as we see the glory of how you uphold, we want to bring those things, whatever they are, our stuff, God. We got stuff. And we're just going to lay it at your feet, and we're going to ask you to speak to us, God. Maybe you'll do that while we're here. Maybe it'll be after, Lord, but give us a word from your mouth. Just like Peter, James, and John asked you in their confusion. Just like this father came and landed at your feet with an anguished desperation. Just like the disciples had it all mixed up and just like Peter had to deal with some jacked up people. Lord, we too have confusion and we have things that need healing and narratives that are untrue and day-to-day -day stuff we just don't even know what or how to deal with, but you do. You are not like us. You are God. You are like us, but you're not. The glory of that. You care about all this stuff and you'll uphold it if we'll just bring it to you. And in this moment, God, we are. We are. We're laying it at your feet. Glory, glory, hallelujah. That you would care enough to speak to us. That you would have time for us to uphold us, to carry us, to bring us forth, to move us forward, to prompt us when we need prompting, to bear us up when we can't hold up, to bring us through, to lead us. We say glory. No one else, Lord, could do that, but you do. So help us, God, to love your word. Our hearts are too small. They're, they're too small. They can't even contain the love for your word that we need to have. But Lord, your word tells us in Psalms that as we run the way of your commandment, do our part to position ourselves in it, you will enlarge our hearts, even the love for your word you give to us. So where we trifle our time and we listen to other silliness and we give it our attention, draw us instead to the treasure of what you have to say. Help us see the worth of your word, the wealth of it, the treasure, the joy of what you say. To just be able to laugh with you sometimes and just look up to the heavens and say glory. Because we have experienced, we are women that know what it means to be upheld by the word of our Jesus. Glory. Uphold us, Jesus. You deserve the glory. Your words deserve our attention. 
Your words deserve our faith, our worship, God. We need you. We need your word. You are worthy. You are worthy of our attention, worthy of our worship, worthy of our faith. And this morning, Lord, we give that to you in a fresh way, specifically for the words that you speak. We are hanging on your word. We are looking for your word. We are not going to be the same people when we go out of here on Sunday. We are going to be women lit on fire for your word, looking on the lookout always because you, Jesus, your glory, you are worthy of that kind of attention. And we give it to you this morning.